This is Atypical Parenting, the podcast for parents and caregivers for those on the autistic spectrum. My name is Dawn Tree, and I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner. But more importantly, I'm the mother of a 32-year-old adult autistic son. Each week, along with special guests, I hope to bring you relevant information and lots of encouragement as we walk this journey together. Hey, welcome, everybody. We are so lucky to have a fantastic guest today. We are talking with J.R. Reed, who is an autism advocate living in Missouri. He also, he is like a master of many things. He also has a couple of different podcasts, one of which is launching soon about his uh, food blog. And we're going to ask him more about that in a bit. But he also is an editor and a writer and does all these wonderful things. But he's on the spectrum himself and was diagnosed as an adult. So the insight we're going to get from JR today is going to be phenomenal. So welcome, JR. Well, thank you. And thank you for setting the bar quite high because what if I'm only really good and not phenomenal? <laughs> I, I've spoken to you before, so I already know that you're phenomenal. So there's no worries about that. Oh, okay. Thank you're you. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I, I shall yes. do my best. Just be yourself and that's going to be perfect. So tell me a little bit more about yourself that I didn't include in that introduction. Uh, I was born in the mid-60s, and I went through school being called weird, stupid, lazy, told that I wasn't living up to my potential. And nobody, I mean, people knew stuff was off, but nobody knew what it was because autism as we know it today wasn't diagnosed until I was 30 years old and well out of high school and well out of the six years it took me to get an associate's degree. Wow. Wow. That's so true. So I, I, I think for I think for adults in their 40s and 50s, a, a lot of them go undiagnosed because they just live their whole life thinking they're weird. Absolutely. You know, my my first writing project and one that I still do is called Not Weird, Just Autistic. And that's because as I walked out of my doctor's office after the diagnosis, the first thing that went through my mind is, huh, I'm not weird, just autistic. Yeah, yeah. And too many of us think that we're just weird. And so we never think to look for a diagnosis. So I think many, many adults in their 40s and 50s are undiagnosed because they didn't have the chance to as kids. And, well, you know. Yeah, you just get used to you just get used to your life experience. And right. Well, and it's not just 40s and 50s. I should say 40s, 50s and beyond. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even younger. Right. Like my son is in his 30s and it really yeah. was not talked about much until the early 2000s. So, Yeah. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about a topic that is going to be a, just a little bit controversial because I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about this. But we're going to talk about autism as a disability and what that means and how we as society need to respond to that as well as people with autism. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I think the first part of what we're going to talk about is what what I like to call the the Weiner effect. Oh, do tell. 
Well, you brought it up before we actually went on air, but you see so much, and I will say, especially on Twitter, which I am no longer nearly the fan of that I was, and I don't use it nearly as much for my advocacy as I did, but you see so many people oh, I'm autistic, my life is over, nobody will ever like me, I'll, I'll never have a friendship. Mm-hmm. And that that's just not true. Yeah. I mean, we, we have our social deficits and, you know, there was very quickly, there was a study done a few years ago by a Dr. Milton from the UK and he basically, the short version is, played three games of telephone, one with all autistic people, one with all neurotypicals, and one with a mixed group. The group of neurotypicals and the group of autistic people got it word for word from front to back. The communication came in between the group that was mixed. And he figured out that people that are neurotypical have a better understanding and can feel empathy for other people like them and autistic people the same. So it's not that we have a communication deficit. It's that we communicate differently and better with people that are either autistic or people like you or parents who understand autism and what it is. Mm. Yeah. You know, what I've been seeing on social media a lot lately is this, um, this like victimization mentality, right? Like, and I, I I hate to, I even feel a little funny even talking about this or saying it because I'm not autistic myself. But when I see these posts about like, oh, my job won't accommodate me, my, the society won't accommodate me, people don't understand and make no, right? Like, should society accommodate? Absolutely. But is it possible to accommodate for every single disability that's out there? Probably not. Well, and but, but but here's the thing. People don't accommodate because they don't know and don't understand. Yeah. So if you took your whining and you used it in a way to teach people that, hey, this is an accommodation I need and this is why I need it, then... You know, we we can all be advocates in some way, in in a small way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's always going to work out, right? Like you can put your needs out there and there's just, people are just jerks sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny. The average, do you have any idea what the average workplace accommodation accommodation for an autistic person costs the company? Zero. Uh, Less than $200. Okay. What are some? accommodations are you aware of that but most of the time it is zero um i mean where you come into play is you know maybe somebody needs to be kind of off in a corner right you know in a quieter environment that there's not all the fluorescent lights right. you know so that might be you know with you know some moving costs and you know wages and whatnot that's where the 200 bucks might come in but a lot of it is stuff like if you're not on the phone, can you wear headphones, not to listen to music necessarily, but just to cancel out the noise from yeah. the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just little things like that, that now more and more employers are getting on board. 
but there are still smaller companies and people that that don't know and don't understand. But I mean, if you point that out, that you know, what, what I'm asking for is not going to cost you anything. Right. So let's. It's going to allow me to be more productive. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a no-brainer for employees, in my mind. Yeah. Or employers, I should say. But let's yes. talk about. Let's divide this into two parts. Let's start. Okay. Let's start with what can people with autism do to number one advocate for themselves. And number two, to accommodate for themselves in a world that isn't always understanding. And then the second part I want to talk about is how can parents and loved ones, parents and loved ones of people on this spectrum add some accommodations into their personal worlds or change the way they relate that will help their person? Those are both very good points. And I, I'd like to remind you that I'm autistic. So when you started the second one, my brain started working on that, completely forgot the first one. I apologize. I'm so it's, sorry. It's all good. It's all Hi. good. It's just, you, you got to remember, that's how the autistic brain works. When you were talking about the first one, my brain was thinking of things. And then you started on number two and my brain goes, boop. <laughs> right, exactly, which is, I guess is an excellent point as to one of the things that we as loved ones can do to ensure good communication is to stick to one freaking topic. Yeah, you know, well, I'm sorry about that. That was weird. Um, yeah, I, I, I always tell people, don't give me a list of five things to do unless you get to write it down and I can look at them one at a time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's start with people on the spectrum. And what would your... Oh, and how they can advocate for themselves and, and, and what they can do, correct? Absolutely. Okay, well, first off, it, it it's hard to start advocating for yourself because of what we just talked about, the difference in communication between a neurotypical and somebody who's autistic yeah. or neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. So... We are automatically going to feel uncomfortable going to that person. The I, I would say the majority by being just in somewhere over fifty percent have a have a problem with overthinking, or mm-hmm. not a problem. That's just a reality. I mean, it's it's a little quirk right. that we overthink things. So that person going to knock on her boss's door has probably replayed both sides of the conversation in her head at least 15 or 20 times. And they are so nervous. And the moment that conversation splits off from what she had in her mind, her brain is spinning. And knowing that, at least as a great possibility, brings up a lot of fear in us. So what we have to try to do is, in easy terms, suck it up. But I mean, we have to realize that, you know what? We're helping ourselves and we're also going to possibly let this company know that there are people here that need things like this. And to me, that's worth it. And that's why I advocate. Yeah, that's the thing about advocating. If it's easy, you don't generally need to advocate. Right? Because people right. will do it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So it's hard. So you need to be brave. Absolutely. I mean, when I speak to groups, I, I absolutely in my brain, I hate it, but I've learned to plan my time and give myself a little downtime before I speak to the group and a lot of downtime after I speak to the group, because I know my brain is going to be worn out and I'm going to need to have time for it to kind of reset. That's an excellent way for you to kind of accommodate yourself because you know yourself best. What are some other ways that people can accommodate themselves if they're on the spectrum? Um, you know, if, if there's a, a, a restaurant or a business that they frequent that doesn't accommodate their needs, be it sound, be it lighting, be it, you know, something visual, just bringing it to their attention and saying, hey, I, I'm on the spectrum. I love coming to your store but this really gets to me every time I come in. I'm letting you know because, you know, one in 40 of us are on the spectrum. So you, you might have a lot more customers that you're losing. Now, what they do with that information, that's on them. But your job to accommodate is really just to let people know. Yeah, earlier you had mentioned something about going to stores. Yeah, so I, I first off, I don't go to shopping malls anymore. I mean, basically, as far as that went, COVID killed the shopping mall experience for, I think, just about everybody in America. But when I would go to shopping malls, it would just, it would leave me exhaust, mentally exhausted and my head was spinning because there's music and there's loud noise from all the people in the mall. The lighting is bright and there's no discernible traffic pattern. People are walking around each other and in between each other and not walking on the right. In America, we drive on the right, so we tend to, you know, want to walk on the right in the UK or someplace like that, it would be on the left. But the point is there's a pattern to it. And when I go to the mall and it's crowded, there's no pattern to the way anybody is walking and it just makes my brain spin and I got to get out of there. Mm -hmm. But if I go on a Tuesday morning, like right when they open, you know, the lights don't necessarily seem as bright. There's probably not nearly the noise because there's not nearly the people in there. And now, the traffic pattern is much easier to discern. Now, both times when I'm at the mall, I'm autistic, but I feel disabled when I go when it's crowded. Wow. I don't feel disabled when I'm in an environment that caters to me. And those environments can be all around. I moved into my uh, new house in October and I love to cook. And at my old house, I had everything set up the way that I thought, you know, most people traditionally set their stuff up. And when I moved here, I traditionally set it up the way I wanted it. So what was different? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like I, I've got all my spices and stuff that are right next to the stove and my cutting board where I'm going to use them instead of like maybe up in a cabinet, you know, hmm? where I have to step away and... You know, I've got my 
wooden spoons and spatulas and things, you know, where they're much easier to reach and they're, I, I don't have to even think about where I'm reaching oh. because it's just so natural to me. Uh-huh. But, you know, I mean, environments can be anywhere we are and they can be any type of sense. I mean, smell, sound, sight, uh, I, I tell you, a big smell one is lemon. And you think, okay, no big deal. We just don't don't have lemons in the house. But Don, how many cleansers and cleaners are on the shelf with a lemon scent? Lemon is so popular when it comes to cleaning. Exactly. So you, you, you've got to think about things. You know, that environment would be having that lemon scent around in a, in a cleaner. Yeah. Do you think... Um, Part of the problem is that a lot of times people on a spectrum, they don't necessarily take enough time to introspect and think about the things that are kind of using up their spoons, so to speak, like lemon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do I say this in the nicest way? I, I think a lot of it depends on the job the parents did with the child growing up. I mean, if if they work together to find those triggers, you know, those sensitivities, then it'll be much easier for the person to identify and know that, okay, when, you know, next time I buy, you know, countertop cleaner, I got to make sure that it doesn't have lemon scent. Right. Right. As opposed to buying the cleaner that you think you should buy and just always having this negative experience with it. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think it's hard a lot of times to, as a parent. I mean, I'm speaking here from my own perspective, but it's hard to know what's triggering your child or your adult person. Absolutely. So the key, honestly, is to just when you see that agitation or that irritability creep up, the key is to stop, make full connection and say what is going on so that you can identify tiny things that make no difference in your world to change. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I was sitting in an, with a family in an IEP meeting a few weeks ago and the teacher said, oh, he has a habit of every once in a while picking up the eraser off the whiteboard and throwing it. And I asked her, I said, well, do you remember the last time it happened? And she said, yeah. I said, what happened just before he threw the eraser? She said, well, what do you mean? And being autistic and very literal, I, ha I had to pause for a second. I said, I, I don't know what else that means. <laughs> <laughs> no way to rephrase that one. Yeah, I, 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 I can't come up with another way to say that. I mean, yeah. what happened just before? And she couldn't remember exactly, but the point I was trying to make with her is think about what just happened and what was the possible trigger, and then you can work on avoiding the trigger. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and – Speaking about like adults with autism, once they understand the trigger, then they can actively educate people and avoid the trigger themselves, right? Absolutely. I mean, for example, we have a, a theme park here that, you know, is a typical, you know, Midwest state type theme park, although it is pretty nice. 
And my brother and his family were coming out uh, about probably three years ago, and they really wanted to go. And the day they picked was a Saturday, and I'm like, nope, I'll I'll go. They want me to go with them. I said, I'll go on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, you know, when it's less crowded. I mean, knowing that I would feel discomfort, but, you know, I was willing to do it for my family, but I wanted to limit the discomfort. Yes. And that, again, goes back to that courage, right? Because a lot of times when people are asking of us, especially people that we love, like, it's really hard to say no. You know, like they said, let's go on Saturday. And you said, actually, no, that doesn't work. So, yeah, that was really hard for you to just be like, um, I see that you want to go to the theme park feel free to go. But for me, it's not comfortable to go when it's crowded. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what, I, I know it's going to be noisy because this is one of those like old West, you know, themed uh, amusement parks. So they've got a train going around oh. and, you know, they've got whistles blowing, you know, so I, I, I know the sound because the first time I went, I was there for like two hours and bailed and went home and slept for 12 hours. <laughs> After an exorbitant fee for the ticket, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, I, I, I've learned, um, don't wear the hearing aids when I go to the park and that will cut down on the sound. And, and, you know, unfortunately, that only works for like 0.2% of the population. Right, right. <laughs> who, are, who are both autistic and we're hearing hate. But they do have a lot of like noise. Um, they have these earplugs specifically for people with. Oh, abs no, I, I, absolutely. I, I totally suggest if you have sensory problems with hearing and you're going to someplace that you know is going to be noisy, there's no problem with headphones that aren't necessarily noise canceling but noise dampening and there's nothing wrong with earplugs because you know what i mean for, think about this for people who love music not being able to go to a concert because of the the hearing sensitivity problem how does that crush their life sure yeah that's an important social event right yeah so, you know, it, the thing is, is, our, you know, our environment is, is everywhere and our environment is everything, whether it's too much light, whether it's light coming from the, the wrong direction, whether it's food sensitivities, which is part of what I'm going to talk about on the sensory friendly food blog I'm building. Notice how I segued there. And, uh, <laughs> See, I've done I've done podcasting before. <laughs> so I I love to cook. That is one of my autistic passions. And I I love comfort food more than you know doing fine dining. I, I've worked in restaurants. I've managed a, an Italian kitchen for a while, but I, I just finally just the environment was just not you know, it, a, a busy kitchen environment was just not conducive oh. to what I needed. And, and so, but, but I love to cook at home and I love trying things from different cultures. And, you know, I watch different food shows and be they competitions or be they, you know, shows with recipes or whatever. I, I get ideas and I've got a journal 
And, you know, I, I, I write stuff down that I want to try or, or things that, you know, try to put together. And I, I just love to cook. And I was thinking, you know, there are so many other autistic people or families with autism that love to cook, but have food sensitivities. Now, I don't don't ask me why, but I've got a thing with mayonnaise and sour cream. Don't put them on the table. Don't put them in my refrigerator because they're going to the trash. But how many recipes call for one of those two ingredients? Absolutely. So I kind of found a workaround. Plain Greek yogurt. And sometimes you got to add lemon juice or a little spice or a little something to it. You know, but stuff like plain Greek yogurt will work a lot of times in place of those things. It's almost like food allergies. It makes me think of that. So when we're talking about food, it's really this whole thing is another way to accommodate yourself, right? Like if you can't stand the smell of seafood, don't go to a seafood buffet. That's correct. You know, that's another way that's correct. to think about accommodating yourself. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know what it is about mustard. Don't don't show it to me. Don't bring it to me. I will mustard. throw it out the front door. <laughs> wow. All the condiments, JR. Jeez. Well, not all the condiments, but, you know. Ketchup um, is a good one. Do you like ketchup? Oh, I love ketchup. Oh, what's and, and hot sauces and, you know, I, I, I make different kinds of ketchup. You know, I've made oh. ketchup with Thai, with Thai chilies and, you know, habanero and and whatever. Wow. But, but the the idea with it is to talk about food sensitivities and to solicit food sensitive, you know, real life food sensitivities from people who look at the blog. And I, I would love to help them, you know, but I, I can only talk about either the more common food sensitivities or the food sensitivities that I deal with. But I'm making sure that I write the recipes in a very simple format using real words, you know, not not big kitchen words, you know, like, like there's so many recipes that will tell you to brunoise the, the, the vegetables. And I'll just say cut up in small pieces <laughs> because I mean, really is the average person who's never watched like a cooking competition or a cooking show know what brunoise means? I've never heard that phrase. No, it's, it, it, it's a term for cutting like, you know, onions and peppers and vegetables and things in very small, even pieces. The thing I've put at the, the top of all the recipes is I like things bold and spicy. I have tamed down this recipe and I always say, follow the recipe and then taste it. And if you think it needs a little more of something, put it in. Always do things to your taste. I feel like, you know what, I, I know we're talking about your food blog, but I feel like that what you just said applies to exactly the topic that we started with, which is yeah. how to accommodate yourself. And that is like, pay attention, take a taste, see what you need to add and make it to your liking. Yeah. And you know what, if you don't know what to add, you know, just start going through things in your brain. Well, does it need something salty? Does it need something sour? Does it need something sweet? Does it need something spicy? And when you apply that to your life, 
it's like the same to, yep. to be quiet. Is it my emotional response? Am I triggered by something? Is it a memory? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, is it anxiety? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Tell Absolutely. Us, and where do we find your food blog? Uh, myautistickitchen.com. Uh, there is a landing page up there right now. You can uh, sign up to be notified when it launches, but it should be ready in the next, uh, within the week. Because I've got, I, I wanted to have 10 recipes to start. I've got eight up already. And then, of course, being autistic, I'm going to overthink and quadruple check every page before I launch I'm going it. to be publishing this in a few weeks. So I imagine if you're listening that JR's blog is up. Yes, it, it, yes it, it will absolutely be up by that point. Barring, barring death, it will be up by that point. So definitely check that out at myautistickitchen.com, correct? And correct. And you know what? I I, I want your feedback. I, I want to know, you know, this recipe didn't work for me or I really like this or, you know what? My child couldn't eat X, but I put Y in and it was really good. And is there a place to comment or is there another way? There's a contact page that they can, you know, leave me a message because I, I, I want to know those things and I want to share those, be able to share those things with others. You know, I can, I can go on and say, Hey, you know what? I, I learned this from Don, who's a mom of an autistic child and try this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. That's, I think this is a phenomenal project you've got going and I think it's oh, thank you. help a lot of people. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm, I, I'm nervous as I always am before I, you know, get projects launched, but, I, I know it's going to go well. Yeah, and 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 like I put right on the homepage of the the blog, everyone deserves to eat tasty food. Thank you so much for coming today. It's been so much fun as usual talking to you. And I will look forward to this being up. And uh, if I can ever help you again, I will. And uh, I'm definitely going to have you on, and we'll talk about uh, different food things. Take care. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at atypical underscore parenting. If you like the show, help me reach more listeners like you by leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform. Wishing you all a wonderful week. Until next time.